Hallelujah. God is faithful. Happy Resurrection Sunday. So good to have you this morning. We had a great first service this morning and good crowd. And so good to see you out here this morning as well. And just believe that just throughout the, through, through this morning, just your heart's going to be open to exactly what you need to receive. You know, a lot of times when you go to a church service, you know, we're all in different places in life. And I just believe that if you just open your heart, God's going to meet you right where you are with exactly what you need to receive. And it's not only does it challenge you, but it's also going to build within you a hope for tomorrow. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 4. Say, say, show me your glory. Now, this is something that we've been talking about since really uh, November last year and everything. But this morning, I'm going to start a new series. And the series is entitled, Behold, He's More Than Just a Man. I don't know how long we'll be on this series, but, but it's, uh, it's, I think it's always good to, you know, you know for me, it's like I, I grew up in church and I had this idea. I heard about Jesus. There was this understanding of Jesus, but yet I didn't understand Jesus. And so you can, you can, you can come to church. You can live a life where, where you have an idea of Jesus, a concept of Jesus. And it's like, well, I heard about the cross. I heard about the manger. I heard about these different things. But, but yet, has that really come into your daily life? Is it something that is, is helping you grow in your daily life? And so, and so my, my heart and my prayer this morning is through this series, your eyes are going to be open. Our eyes are going to be open to some greater understandings about Jesus. The word behold means to, to lay hold of with the heart or mind. It means to pay attention to something. It means to perceive something. It means to see something deeper than what it is. It's not just like look at, but no, this is behold, where I'm actually, I'm actually gazing at it. I'm looking at it, and from all the angles and seeing, okay, what about this, Lord, do you want me to receive? And, and that's what this series is going to be like. And I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 4 to you real quick, verse 6. It says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. When we, talk, said, we said, show me your glory. And here it says that this light of the knowledge of the glory of God. So how are we going to get a hold of and understand the light of the knowledge, knowledge of the glory of God? It says in the face of Jesus Christ. So when I look at Jesus, when I see Jesus, I'm understanding the glory of God. The word says that Jesus was the, invi- the visible representation of an invisible God. So I mean, if you want to see, see what God looks like, you, you need to look at Jesus. If you want to hear what God sounds like, you need to look at Jesus. If, if you want to have a greater... See, you can look at church, you can look at religion, you can look at the media, and you can look at all these different things to try to explain to you their opinion of Jesus but, or, or God. But if you want to understand God, you need to look at Jesus. The word says, no man comes to the Father except through him. There's not many ways to heaven. There's one, and it's Jesus. Go to John chapter 19. And so this, all, this whole aspect of behold, he's more than just a man, started, man, a couple months ago. And I just was reading and just reading through the Gospels 
And, and, I, and I read all the Gospels, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and reading the account of, of when Jesus um, you know, died, when he was betrayed, and, and how he was hung on the cross, how he was beaten, and, and how all these different things happened, and how he rose again on the third day. And I'm, I'm reading these things. And, and, but when I got to John chapter 19, I was reading some scriptures here. And, and man, and every time I read this statement, I'd go through this chapter, there was a phrase that I'd read, and it just agitated me. It just it really kind of upset me. It, it something went off on the inside of me as a as a as a communicator, as a pastor. You know, um, you know that's how really the Lord deals with me. There's just something I'm reading in the Word, and and all of a sudden, just like something comes off the page or something in my heart, and I was like, there's something a little bit more there that, that the Lord wants me to see. And and it's in John chapter 19, and I guess I need to turn there as well, so we can be on the same page. John chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. Just means it beat him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and, and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. The message says they each one by one punched him in the face. Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And I was seeing this and, and looking at it and I'm reading this story and I'm getting this visual picture that Jesus, here he is, he's, he's standing there and there's a crowd of people and Pilate's standing next to him. And here Jesus is, he's got one inch thorns in his head. He's got 39 stripes on his back. He's bleeding everywhere. They put a purple robe on his, on his back and he's standing there and they, they plucked out his beard. They beat him in the face, spit on him, did all sorts of things to him. And here Pilate says, says, I want you to see that I'm innocent. And he washes his hand. And then all he suddenly says, behold the man. I was thinking, behold the man. And every time I'd read that scripture and, and say, behold the man, I was like, man, but, but this, came, this, this phrase kept coming up. He's, he's more than just a man. Every time I'd read that statement, it was, and I'd read that statement, he, Pilate says, behold the man. And I'd be like, no, he, he's more than just a man. You know, I'm so grateful that the word says that in Philippians that Jesus, he took, he said he, he let down his rightful deity. And it said that, that he, he became like, he took on the form of a servant, but it said he became fashioned in the likeness of man. I'm so grateful that, that, that he became like a man, but he came, became like a man. So, so the thing is, eventually I could, I could become like him. And you'll see that here in a little bit. The, the whole aspect, it was he became a man, but, but the aspect, he's not just a man. And so we, we have to get out of, out of this idea of looking at Jesus familiar, with familiarity and just saying he's, he was just a man. You see, religions, no, there's not a whole lot of people will doubt Jesus' existence. Atheists believe in Jesus' existence. You, you, can't, you can't argue with history. You can't argue, argue with archaeology. You can't, order, you can't argue with, with, with facts. Agnostics, they, 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 they believe that a Jesus existed. They, you, know, uh, you know, Buddhists, they, they believe that, that he was a good man. You know, Muslims, they believe he was a good prophet. He was a good teacher. 
Hindus, they, they, they believe in Jesus. They, they believe that he was a good man. He was a good teacher. He, he had good principles. He had, he had good ways of doing things. And, and, you know, you have all sorts of things from, from the, from some people thought he was deranged. Some people thought he was a lunatic, but no matter what, what you understand to be majority of mankind, when they see Jesus, they just see a man, but he is so much more than a man. He, he's so much more than a man. This morning, I want you to see Jesus in, in a way maybe that you've never seen Jesus before. You see, throughout the word of God, you know, God has always been pointing towards something. The moment that Adam and Eve fell in the garden to bring about this whole aspect of salvation was when, when, when Adam and Eve were deceived in the garden. God said, he cursed the serpent. He said, there's one coming. There's one coming. There's one coming. There's one coming. And he and he he is going to bruise your head and you're going to bruise his heel. Meaning there's one coming. There's, there's someone coming. There's, there's someone coming. There's, there's one coming. And, and throughout the scriptures, we constantly see through scriptures, God pointing to this picture, God pointing to this image. There's someone coming. Go to Isaiah chapter 52. Behold, he's more than just a man. You know, at this time, in the, as Isaiah is writing, not only is he writing for the present people, but he's writing into our day. Throughout the book of Isaiah, there's constantly prophecies pointing towards the Messiah that was to come. And in Isaiah 52, he tells them, awake, awake. This is verse 1 of Isaiah 52. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem. The whole city for henceforth, there shall no more come into you. The uncircumcised or the unclean. He says, shake yourself from the dust. Arise, sit up, O Jerusalem, and loose yourself from the bonds of your neck. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus, thus says the Lord God, my people went down to you at first in Egypt to just journey there. And many years later, the Assyrians oppressed them for nothing. Now I deliver you from Egypt and Assyria. So what's going to prevent me from delivering you from Babylon? Babylon means the world system. Verse 5, but now what have I here, says the Lord, seeing that my people have been taken away for nothing. My people have been taken away for nothing. Those who rule over them, how with joy, says the Lord. And my name continually is blasphemed all the day long. He says his name is blasphemed all the day long. You think about how, how people are so against Christianity and so against different things. Why? Because they just see Jesus as just a man. Hallelujah. Verse six says, therefore, my people shall know what my name is and what it means. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, I am. He's behold, I am. Now let's go look at verse 13. Then God speak through, th- speaking through Isaiah says, behold, my servant. Behold, my servant shall deal wisely and shall prosper. He shall be exalted and extolled and shall stand very high. For many, the servant of God became an object of horror. Many were astonished at, at him. His face and his whole appearance were marred more than any man's and his form beyond that of the sons of men. But just as many were astonished at him, 
So shall he startle and sprinkle many nations and kings shall shut their mouths because of him for that which has not been told they shall see and that which they have not heard they shall consider and understand. Why am I reading this? Because I want you to understand is is the whole aspect is God is declaring behold my servant and he's going to be he's going to be beaten so bad you're not even going to tell what he looks like. You're not going to be able to see what he looks like. The next chapter says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And so Jesus, he was so much more than a man. Here it says, behold, my servant. He was a servant of God. John chapter one, verse 29, John the Baptist stands up in his day and he said, he declares, he says, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He's more than just a man. He said, behold, the lamb. That takes away, behold the lamb that, that loosens you, that loosens you from the bondage of the enemy. <laughs> behold the lamb that frees you from bondages. Behold the lamb that takes away the things that are oppressing you. This Jesus is so much more than just a man. And, and John the Baptist said, he's the one. He's the one that was slain from the foundation of the world. The one that God prophesied about in the garden. Behold the lamb. He's more than just a man. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one that we've been looking for. This is the one that we've been praying for. This is the one that we've been seeking for. And he's this. This is the man. Behold him. Look at him. See, look, look after him. See him because what Isaiah prophesied, this is the one. This is the servant. So God prophesied about him coming. Isaiah prophesies about him coming. John the Baptist declared about him coming. Let's go to Luke 24. Luke 24. Thank you, Father. Luke 24. Now, this is after Jesus had died on the cross and after he rose again, but yet the disciples didn't have this, have an encounter with him yet. And here it's called the walk to Emmaus. It starts in verse 13. It says, and behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about seven miles. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. And it came to pass while they were communing together or walking, they reasoned. And Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. So here now Jesus is walking with some of his disciples. And they've been around Jesus for years. But yet as he walks with them, he says their eyes were not holding to where they could see him. I mean, you know why? Because they weren't expecting him. They weren't looking for him because they already had this understanding that, man, he was crucified. Verse 17 says, and he said to them, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and has not now known the things which are come to pass there in these days? Meaning, meaning, where have you been? <laughs> Dude, you're walking with us. Where have you been for the last, the last week? I mean, it's been crazy in Jerusalem. You know, have you heard about what's going on in Jerusalem? It is crazy. You know, and, and it's like, where have you been? <laughs> and, and so here he goes... <laughs> And he says, and, and, and he said unto them, what things? Jesus says, what things? And they said unto him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was the prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. 
You see, there was a time when they came to Jesus and Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? And, and the disciples said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. But all of a sudden here, they say, oh, well, he was just a pro- prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. So he went from at one time them having a belief that he's the son of God. Well, now he's just he was just a good prophet. And how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to condemn them to death and have crucified him. Verse 21. But we were hoping, we were hoping that it was he who would redeem and set Israel free. Yes, and besides all this, is it now the third day since these things occurred? See, what were they? They were hoping. They were hoping that, man, he was the one that was going to redeem us. He, he was the one that was going to set us free. But yet, besides all this, it's the third day, meaning this is what he promised. But, you know, it's already the third day. Nothing's happening. Nothing's changed. Why? Because where they once thought he was the son of God, now their perspective has changed. They're just seeing him as just another prophet or just another man. Verse 22. And moreover, some women of that company astounded us and drove us out of our senses. And they were at the tomb early in the morning, but they did not find his body. And they returned saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. So some of those who were with us went to the tomb and they found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, sluggish of mind, dull of perception and slow of heart to believe. Here to trust and rely on everything that the prophets have spoken. Now hear that. He says, he call, Jesus calls them foolish ones. He goes, how come you let go of what the prophets have spoken? How come you let go of the prophets have spoken? How come you've let go of, of what they've declared? Verse 28. Then they drew near to the village to which they were going. Actually, I'm sorry. Hallelujah. Verse uh, Verse 26, was it not necessary and essentially fitting that the Christ should suffer all these things before entering into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and throughout all the prophets, he went on explaining and interpreting to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning and referring to himself. Now think about this. Jesus is having a conversation with some guys on the road and he tells them, how come you let go what the prophet spoke? Then he stops and while he's talking, he, he talks to them about everything in scripture, everything in the prophets concerning himself. So not only did God declare, hey, there's someone coming. Not only did, did John the Baptist say, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Not only did Isaiah talk, write about, behold, the servant. But now Jesus is even going all the way to the beginning and talking about himself in every book of the Bible and declaring himself throughout the Bible. Verse 28, then they drew near to the village of which they were going and he acted as if he would go further. But they urged and insisted saying to him, remain with us for it is towards the evening and the day is far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Verse 30, and it occurred that as he reclined at the table with them, He took a loaf of bread and praised God and gave thanks and asked a blessing. Then he broke it and it was given to them. When their eyes were instantly open, they clearly recognized him and he vanished. And they said one to another, were not our hearts greatly moved and burning within us while he was talking with us on the road? And as he opened and explained to us the scriptures, didn't our hearts burn within us? 
There's something about when you truly receive a revelation of Jesus, it does something in you. I don't care how hard your heart is. I don't care what your, what your present belief is. When you truly hear the anointed word being preached about who Jesus is, there's something on the inside of you that, that is burning. There's something on the inside of you that, 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 that will not be the same. Now, you can receive it or you can reject it, but there's something about Jesus. See, you have to look at Jesus beyond just a man. Here, Jesus went and explained himself throughout all the scriptures. Now, we don't know exactly the things that he might have said, but he may have said something that sounds like this. Well, let me tell you about this fourth man. Who is this fourth man? I'll tell you who he is. In Genesis, he's the seed of woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he's our pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. In Judges, in Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he's our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he's our kinsman and redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. In First and Second Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In Ezra, he's our faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of the broken down walls of human life. In Esther, he's our Mordecai. In Job, he's our ever-living redeemer. For Job said, I know my redeemer, redeemer liveth. Hallelujah. Who is this fourth man? I'll tell you who he is. In Psalms, he's our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, he's our lover and bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he's the righteous branch. In Lamentations, he's the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fiery furnaces of life. Who is this fourth man? I'll tell you who he is. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband. In Joel, he's the baptizer with the Holy Ghost. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's the mighty to save. In Jonah, he's our foreign missionary. In Micah, he's the messenger with beautiful feet. In Nahum, he's the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he's God's evangelist. In Zephaniah, he's our savior. In Haggai, he's the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, he's the fountain open in the house of David. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. Hallelujah. Who is this fourth man? I'll tell you who he is. In Matthew, he's the Messiah. In Mark, he's the wonder worker. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the son of God. In Acts, he's the Holy Ghost. In Romans, he's the justifier. In 1st and 2nd Corinthians, he's the sanctifier. In Galatians, he's the redeemer from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, he's the price with unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he's the God that supplies all our needs. In Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, he's our soon coming king. Hallelujah. Who is this fourth man? Who is this fourth man? I'll tell you who he is. In 1st and 2nd Timothy, he's the mediator between God and man. In Titus, he's our faithful pastor. In Philemon, he's the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Who is this fourth man? I'll tell you who he is in Hebrews. He's the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, he's our great physician. 
In first and second Peter, he's the chief shepherd. In first, second, third John, he is love. In Jude, he's the Lord coming with 10,000 angels. Hallelujah. Who is this fourth man? I'll tell you who he is in the book of Revelations. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Who is this man that showed up in the fiery furnace? Who is this man that'll show up in every fiery furnace where you refuse to compromise? I'll tell you who he is. He's Abel's sacrifice. He's Noah's rainbow. He's Abraham's ram. He's Isaac's well. He's Jacob's scepter. He's Moses' rod. He's Joshua's sun and moon that stood still. He's Elijah's mantle. He's Elijah's staff. He's Gideon's fleece. He's Samuel's horn of oil. He's David's slingshot. He's Isaiah's feet poultice. He's Hezekiah's sundial. He's Daniel's visions. He's Amos' burden. And and Malachi, he's the son of righteousness. Who is this fourth man? I'll tell you who he is. He's Peter's shadow. He's Stephen's signs and wonders. He's Paul's handkerchiefs. He's John's holy white city. Hallelujah. Who is this fourth man? Who is this fourth man that'll enter the fiery furnace when you dare to, to, to stand uncompromisingly? He's the father to the orphan. He's the husband to the widow. He's the traveler in the night to, that, it, that he that is traveling. He's the bright and morning star to those that are in the lonesome valley. He's the lily of the valley. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the honey in the rock. He's the brightness of God's glory. He's the express image of the person of God. He's the king of glory, the pearl of great price, the rock in a weary land, the cup that runneth over, the rod and the staff that comfort. He's the government of the lion, and our lives are upon his shoulder. Who is this fourth man? He's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of the living God. So we don't know all exactly what Jesus talked on that road, but whatever it was, it caused their hearts to burn within them. Jesus is so much more than just a man. He's not just a man. He's not just a man. He is so much more. He's my savior. He's, he's healed my body. He set me free from things. He, he is, he has set my feet on a rock. He's, he's done amazing things in my life. Hallelujah. You see, when you, when you really understand who Jesus is, he's more than just a, a figure that we talk about, but he is the person of God. He is, a, he is the, the, the one that just sticks closer than a brother. He is the one that, that, that wants to have you to have a relationship with. And everything that, we just, that, that Dr. Savell was talking about, if you don't know, that, that's our founding pastor. And, and that was, he was 34 years old. When that 1981, and he was here this morning and he saw that. And, and so he goes, I had ears, I had, I had hair back then, brown hair. But just the whole aspect of everything that Jesus talked about, everything that God prophesied, everything that Isaiah wrote about it, everything came down to this one understanding is love. This one understanding of love. In John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Behold, what love the Father. Behold, what love, what manner the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called sons of God. Behold, what manner of love. Everything that that was being said about who Jesus is comes down to this picture of love. Behold, what manner of love. What kind of love the Father has bestowed upon us that he would call us sons of God. Come here for a second. 
Now think about this. This is, this is what, what Jesus was doing. He was more than just a man. Like I said, he became a man. He, he came down to earth, became like a man. Went back to earth so he could reach down and pull me up. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. The word bestow means to place upon, to give. So what love the Father has bestowed upon us that he would call us sons and daughters of God. You see, he put something on us. He put his love on it. Everything that Jesus is, is available to each one of us. Everything. Behold, behold, pay attention to, receive, look at, take it into your heart and your mind, the love. Everything that Jesus is, is all about love. Everything. You can be seated. You can can keep the coat for a moment. I think of what love the Father has bestowed upon us that he will call us sons. That we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knew us not because it knew him not. Why, did it not. why did it know him not? Because they just saw him as a man. If you just see him as a man, you won't get to know who he really is. Get to know Jesus. He's more than just a man. He's more than just a personification of a religion. He is a person. And he is alive. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He says he is the, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So everything that was announced throughout the scripture of what Jesus declared himself to be is for us to know that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. Christianity for me is not a crutch. Christianity for me is not, not, not a religion. It is, it is so much more than that because I've experienced him. I've experienced his presence. I've experienced personal change in my life. I've experienced from where I was to where I am today. But you have to behold him as love. Because he calls you sons. Go to Revelation chapter 3. And I'll close with this. Revelation chapter 3. And we just read, behold, what manner the love the Father has bestowed, given us. Amen. Amen. And here in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, it says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Now, that doesn't say as many as I love, I make sick. It doesn't say as many as I love, I put in condemnation. It doesn't say as many as I love, I'm mad at. As many as I love. You know, you got to see this from the heart of the father. You know, you know as being, being a father myself, you know, if my child's going to run out into the, into the street, what I'm, I'm going to yell. Bren. I'm going to call his name. Bren. Why? Because, you know, not because I want to punish him. I'm, I, because I love him and I want to direct him in the right path. When he talks about many as I love, I rebuke and chase. And what that, all that means is, is he, he wants to get them in the right path. He communicates to get them on the right path. God's not mad at you. 
you think about while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's nothing you could, go, you could do in the natural to get him to die for you again. Because you couldn't do it the first time. There's nothing you can do for him to love you. See, some people really need to receive. There's nothing you can do to get him to love you more than he already does. He sent Jesus because he loved. While you were yet sinner, Christ died for you. And here he says, as many as I love, I chasten. Hallelujah. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. What does that mean? I, I, repent just means to turn around 180 degrees. What does that mean? It means I'm going one direction. And I'm going to do everything in my power. Not, it's not just saying words like, I, well, I forgive me. No, it's I'm going to go this direction. I'm going to go this direction. I'm going to go this direction. As many as I love. As many as I love. God loves you. He loves you and he has a plan for your life. He loves you so much beyond what you could ever ask, think, dream, or imagine. As many as he loves, he directs. So be zealous to make that change. Make that adjustment. Man, if you could see your value. If you could see your value. I, you know, I'm reminded uh, in Ephesians chapter 5. It talks about as a description about, a, about husbands and wives. And he talks about a husband should love his wife like Christ loved them church and gave himself for it. And he goes on and he's talking about husband and wives, but he says, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So this is talking about this relationship, not just with husbands and wives, but it's talking about a relationship with you and I. And, and here that, I, I, that, that a husband would love his wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Man, what kind of love, does, what does that love look like? To give yourself, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it? Because this is how Christ loves you and I? Now think about Christ. There was one thing I got to understand with that kind of love is there's no guarantee that you'd receive anything. There's no guarantee that you'd ever receive. That's the value of that kind of love because, because if a husband loves himself like, with like Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it, Christ gave himself without any guarantee of getting anything back. You know, and the Lord told me this one time, you know, just in my own life and my relationship with Annette, he goes, he goes, I died for your wife's potential, not for her perfection. And so Jesus said, I died for everyone's potential, not for their perfection. See, there was no guarantee, no guarantee that anyone would receive anything that he had to offer. You see, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Now, we always look at this from God's perspective. God gave his best. But what about Christ's perspective? Did he have to do what God was asking him to do? No. He didn't. God so loved you, he gave his only best, but Jesus had to choose to lay his life down. That's a whole other level of love. When you choose. God, God chose to give, but Jesus chose to follow through. What kind of, what kind of value? Does God see in you? As he loves us, he chastens us. So be zealous and repent. And then the very next verse says, behold. (laughs) 
You're going to hear behold a lot over the weeks to come. <laughs> behold, I stand at the door. Not God. This is Jesus talking. and He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and open up the door, I will come into him and will sup with him. That just means relationship and he with me. To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, he's not saying, you know, a lot of times people look at Revelation and saying, oh, he's talking to the future. Now, who's he talking? He's talking to the churches. So this morning, he's knocking on each one of our hearts. No matter where your relationship is with God, I believe he's longing for a deeper relationship with you. And he's knocking your heart, whether you never made Jesus the Lord of your life or, or you've just been lukewarm, whether, whatever the case is, I believe God is speaking to your heart this morning. I believe he's knocking on your heart this morning because anytime you talk about Jesus, there's something in here that's moving, something in here that's working. The Holy Spirit is working in your heart and in your life. Everyone stand to your feet. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Mm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Rick, can I have that microphone? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. Jesus. More than just a religion, you're more than just a name, you're more than just a prophet, you're more than just a good teacher, but you are the Son of God. You're our healer, you're a provider, you're our strength, you're a rock, a refuge, you're a deliverer. You're one that loves us when no one else does. You're one that receives us when we feel like we're unreceivable. Thank you for making yourself real to us this morning on this Resurrection Sunday. That we wouldn't see you as just a man that rose again, but we'd see you for who you really are. And that is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords.